So, God is saying something to us this morning. Uh, mountains, obstacles in our way. He's going to take us through those obstacles. Uh, Jerry brought that sense of it is a straight and narrow road. It is a road of commitment. It is a road of dedication to Christ that will allow us to get through uh, that mountain and that circumstance, and God needs to be number one. Uh, so yeah, it would be... The um, God will uh, guide us and give us direction. And the promise that we're getting this morning is that he is going to get you through the obstacle. So it would be crazy if we just hear a word from the Lord and, um, and not allow God to do something with that. So how many does that witness to this morning, what God is saying? You want to stand up? <coughs> See, this is the beauty of allowing the Holy Spirit to move. <laughs> um, God knows what's going on in hearts. He knows what's going on in our spirits, and he knows what we need. Uh, and he speaks to it. So God's really bringing down some promises today and also some direction and some reminders about how to get through that mountain. So, Father, we thank you for what you've said here this morning. We thank you that, Father God, you have seen our hearts and you know what we have walked in here with. And today, Father, for those that have that burden, who have that mountain in front of them, who have that seemingly uh, unsurmountable obstacle, right now I just ask, Father, that you give us the picture. And I, what I want you guys to do is just have a, a visual picture in your brain of giving that to Jesus, of just putting it on the altar this morning and relinquishing it to God and believing that God is going to get you through this, not by what you can figure out, not by what you know how to do, but by what God is going to do sovereignly through it. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I just uh, release these things to you today. We release them, we give them to you in faith, and we give them to you in trust, and we leave them with you. And, Father God, show us where we need to tighten our walk with you so that we are walking that road of blood. We are walking that close walk, that we are making you first, that you're not second, you're not behind everything else in our life, and we just tail you in when we have time, but that, Father God, you are Sunday, Monday through Sunday again, that you are number one, that you are number one, and show us where that needs to be refined in our life and restored in our life even this morning, and there is restoration going on this morning, there is a restoration happening there's something happening. There's a restoring of position of God in your life this morning. And uh, the Lord wants to thank you for recognizing it and standing and uh, being willing to give him that. Uh, so, Father, we thank you because you do have a plan and a purpose for our life. But, Father, we have got to be walking with you, towards you, and for you. So cause us to have that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, eh? Um, so, thank you, Christian. <laughs> it was great. And 
Nicole's going to come speak. Nicole, I don't know a lot about Nicole's background, except that I know um, she's spoken for uh, different organizations. I think Billy Graham was one of them, um, but she can brag about that herself. <laughs> we'll leave that to her um, to talk about that. But it, uh, she works for the Gideons now, and uh, I'm just really excited. I just really am to hear what she's going to say. And uh, they come from Newfoundland. Right there, right there, as soon as I heard Newfoundland, I said, okay, well, when I met Christian, Christian and I have been spending a lot of time together trying to figure out uh, how to do church <laughs> and how to do it right, and we talk these deep things that we don't have the answers for, uh, but it seems like it's good anyway. But uh, uh, Nicole is coming today with, I think, a real message for us, and I trust that God has given her something, so come on up, Nicole. Well, good morning, everyone. You know, it's, I always find it, I always feel bad for people when they're introducing me. Um, I think the only introduction needed was that I was from Newfoundland, and usually everybody, especially when I'm in Alberta, everyone's like, yes, Newfoundland. Um, so it's really exciting to be here this morning. Um, I'm going to see if I can lower this. Does that work? Okay. Because that's really high. So yeah, so actually, um, I go to Nova Church. I'm on the speaking team there. Um, I'm an ordained minister. I've traveled around Canada and the U.S. for many years. Thanks, babe. For many years uh, speaking and teaching. Um, I've worked with lots of different nonprofits. A uh, big part of my heart is social justice, so I've traveled a lot to speak on social justice. Um, I'm an advocate at heart for things. Um, so my, my whole life, my biggest thing is people's stories, and I'm a huge, um, huge believer in your story and that your story has power to it. And so a lot of what I do is I actually help other people how to form their stories, how to tell their testimonies. Um, I help people learn how to speak now. So I'm very thankful for the things that God has uh, really called out of my life. And um, I'm a big, just a big supporter of the church being exactly who Jesus has called them to be. Um, and that looks a lot like the way Jesus was when he was on the planet. And so we, my husband and I, we travel for many years. Um, we've been married for eight and a half years now, and uh, we've traveled all over Canada and the States doing ministry. Um, he was in a band for many years, and we would travel around living in a bus. Um, we were homeless at times. Uh, we did everything that we could to, to really follow the call that we felt Jesus had on our life, um, and a lot of that was me speaking along the way and, and us just going into churches and serving just like we are this morning. So I'm very honored to be here. Um, I thought it was amazing how some of you were praying and, and kind of talking about mountains, uh, this morning, we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, one really cool thing when you guys are talking about mountains is what I've learned in my life is that God is really good at taking mountains and creating them into more like monuments of victory, right? So things that are mountains in our life, they actually don't have to be mountains, and they a lot of the times don't actually disappear, right? Did you guys notice that? Sometimes our mountains don't actually disappear. We just learn to appreciate them, and we learn to grow through the process of getting over those mountains and coming down the other side. And so in my life, that's been the purest truth I could ever tell you, is that the things that you're struggling with today, God is really good at using those things for his glory, and that you'll remember those things and be like, oh my gosh, that mountain taught me this. And so I'm thankful for that word this morning, because we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus and that genealogy is incredibly surprising. And if you haven't read it before, <laughs> it's very surprising. So this morning, turn to Matthew 1 with me. And we're going to read through some of that genealogy. So the title there is Genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. 
This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zarah, whose mother was Tamara. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. If you're taking notes in your Bible, you can circle the name Rahab or underline that there. We're going to skip through it because a lot of this sounds like Newfoundland language that I just read to everybody. So we're going to skip over to 14. As are the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliahud, Eliahud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matin, Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus the Messiah. So you can circle Mary or underline Mary in that. There's so many names in there that we can talk about this morning. Being so close to Christmas, I thought it would be fun to really talk about the mother of Jesus. And someone else in this book whose story is not as similar to her life. And so before we begin, let's just pray and ask God just to really open our hearts to his word. And just pray that he would just be all over me when I speak this morning. So, Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love. You're a deep, deep love for us. I thank you for every heart in this room. And God, I just pray that today we would just be ready to receive your word that we would be confident servants of the Most High today, God. And I just pray that every word that comes out of my mouth will be ordained by you, Jesus. And I just thank you for the honor of being together um, in this presence of peace today. I thank you for the calling on this church. I thank you for the people in this church who will change history. I thank you for the calling on your pastor here, Pastor Keith. And I just pray that he would feel blessed from today and every day. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are in our lives and what you're doing. And all the saints said, amen. Amen. All right. So now we're going to jump into this because I love this. This is one of my favorite messages to speak, okay? So you're getting my favorite today. Um, I love looking into this. Obviously, there's two different names there, Rahab and Mary. We all know who Mary is, the mother of God, right? We can pretty much all agree on that in this room. I hate assuming that, by the way, because if I'm only assuming that everyone in this room is Christians and we're doing it wrong, right? There has to be someone here that doesn't know this, so I'm going to jump around a little bit and tell pieces of the story, and some of, sometimes I get in a little bit of trouble, some of like, oh, well, there's way more facts behind that story. I'm like, yeah, but I'm telling the story as if there's people here that don't know it, and I need them to understand it. So this morning, we look at Mary, and Mary is the mother of Jesus, and we believe that's our Messiah who came, lived on the earth as a man, right, died on a cross for our sins and rose again, amen? That's what we believe is the church, and so we're looking at Mary's life. But in the same little part there, we look over across the page, and we see the name Rahab. Are most of you guys familiar who Rahab was? Okay, some people are, some people aren't. Yes, that's awesome. So Rahab, if you want to turn your Bibles over to um, Joshua 2, you can move on over here. Joshua 2, we're going to see a section titled, everyone, can you please turn your cell phones on to vibrate? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. There's a couple of different cell phones that are going off all at once. So Joshua 2, and you're going to see a title that says Rahab and the Spies. So for those of you who do not know the story of Joshua, Joshua was a man of God. And God gave him special instructions to overtake this city. But this city was completely surrounded by an impenetrable wall. And so God gave Joshua a big list of instructions on what to do to overtake this wall. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. But Joshua sent in a couple of spies into this city to try to learn its weaknesses. 
And so these spies go into the city, and they're walking around, and they find this woman who's known as Rahab the prostitute. And this woman, she finds them, she hears about what they're doing, and she, the king is after these guys because he hears that there's spies coming into his city. And so Rahab takes these two men, and she hides them in her home. Actually, she hid them on top of her roof underneath the straw panels that were up there. And when the king came looking for these guys, Rahab was like, I don't, I've never seen these guys. I think they took, maybe I heard they took off over the walls. They're not here any longer. And uh, so she hid them, and because she hid them, they were able to get the intel that they wanted to. And they said to her, listen, like, what's different? And she said, I've, I've, I have the fear of God in my life. I've heard about the amazing works that your God is doing, and I want to get to know him, and I want to align my life with what you're doing. And so they said to her, listen, when these walls come down, we're going to come back and we're going to take your family out of this, your whole family, and we're going to bring you into our family. And so this is a really powerful story because as you read this, one of the things, there's several things that really stand out to me. First of all, this woman was known as a prostitute. How many of you guys have ever worked with women who are in the sex trade? Amazing. I have too. And, you know, I actually used to live in Edmonton, and I used to go out uh, with the Salvation Army, and I would work with women who were into prostitution or into the sex trade. And these women would be out all night long, and so we would be out all night long with them. We would literally go out between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning. And we would drive around in this van, and we would go around, and we would pick the women up. Actually, they knew who we were, so they would wave us down. And we would pull over, and they would come on the van with us, and we had all kinds of clothing, food, medical care, everything you can imagine we had on this little van. And so they would get in with us, and we would pray for them, and sometimes we'd have to take them to the hospital if they were injured and sit with them to make sure they got uh, the proper medical care that they deserved because they had such a stigma attached to them, right? But these women, really, because they were into this line of work, they weren't there by choice. A lot of these women, probably 95 to 99% of them, had extreme drug addiction. And so the drug addiction that they had, you could actually see... You can have, if you guys ever know anybody with a really strong drug addiction, it literally turns them into a little bit of a creature where they're completely controlled by this substance. And so I remember so many times they would get on the van with me and they would sit across from me and sometimes I would take their boots off because they would have holes in their boots and I'd take their boots off and I would warm their feet up and I would clean their feet off and get them new socks and new boots and it was the simple things like that and I would pray for them and many of them knew who Jesus was. Many of them claimed to be Christians, and, or they were Christians, and I would sit with them, and I would pray with them, and then I watched them get off the van, and they would be bought by people right in front of me, and I remember so many times I would pray for them, and I'd be out on that van, and guys, being honest, I'm going to be purely honest, I'm somebody that really believes that God can restore all people, I really do, but when you're sitting across from somebody who has had the hardest life who has extreme drug addiction, who is literally a shell of what they were. They have scars all over their bodies, and they're now selling, them, selling themselves sexually to supply the need that they need for their drug addiction. When you're sitting across from somebody like that and you're praying for them for God to restore their life, it's really hard to see or to, f- to truly believe that they're going to be restored. I'm being honest. It is really, really stinking hard because that's, Some people, you can see it on their skin. Other people, it's deep in their souls, (laughs) right? But when you can see it so much all over them, it's really hard to get to a place. And I would struggle with that. I would go home most nights after I would be done. I had about an hour drive to get out of there. My whole way home, I would cry and be like, God, I need to be able to believe that everybody is restorable. 
that everybody can be restored. And so when I read about Rahab, I picture Rahab as the women that I've met. I picture a woman that definitely walked down the street and people crossed to the other side because they didn't want to deal with her. I, I picture a woman that people snickered at or mocked. A woman that people had all kinds of stories for. A woman that other women would have hated. I picture a woman that people would assume had no value. No value. Merchandise, that's right. She would have been treated like an item, like a commodity. And every day she would walk down her street and nobody would see her as somebody who had potential for value in their life. Nobody. In fact, when you look at some of the wording here used to describe her when she talks about how she hid the men on top of her house, she was used to hiding men. Right? She was used to hiding men. That was her profession. She was used to having people know that men were coming to her house for sex, to buy sex. And she was used to hiding them until their family maybe went away after looking for them. That was her life. And so I love this story because it shows a woman who hears about God, hears about his faithfulness and his power in the land, and she walks up to these guys that are known as godly men and says, hey, I don't have much to offer. I'm known as Rahab the prostitute, but I know how to hide you. I know how to hide you. And I believe in God. So come into my home. And so she brought these men into her home. She brought them up and she hid them. And because of her acts, because of her faith in her acts, these men were saved and they were able to get the intel that they needed. And they went out and Joshua was given a specific set of instructions and he followed them to a T and he went around the, the whole city. And those walls came down. And when they came down, those men went in and they got Rahab and they brought her out. And she is now in the genealogy of Jesus. A prostitute is in the genealogy of Jesus. If that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what is for the church. But just jumping back to that part about hiding people. That was her talent. Her talent was hiding men. And God used it to magnify heaven. How often in our life do we have our hiddenness? I have hiddenness, a ton of it. You only know me for what you see me as. Luckily, nobody knows anything really bad about me because that's what I would be known about, right? That's our culture. But this woman had one talent, it was hiding men. And God used that to his advantage. We are so afraid of loving people. And we are so afraid of saying that people are valuable because we don't think that they have value sometimes or we don't know how to actually call out the stuff that they've gone through and put it up and say, God, you can use it. So this woman was used by God with a talent that everyone would have thought was the most ugliest, awful, disgraceful thing, but her God didn't live in a box. Her God was able to take the one thing that everyone thought she was so shameful for and actually put it up and be like, you know what, I'm going to use this as part of one of the most powerful stories in my book. So when generations to come read about her, they see that I'm a God that sees hiddenness in our lives and takes it out for heavenly power. Like That is good. That's, that's the hope of the gospel. Right there, just in that one little story. A lot of times we skip over and we just go to what the men are doing in that story, which is still awesome. But there's this little part in there of this woman. 
who never had anything good spoken over her life, who never had purpose in her life, who never had value called on her life. She didn't come from a good home. But here she had this potential in her hiddenness because she offered it up to God. So I want to encourage you guys this morning, in your hiddenness, in the things that look like mountains in your life, in the things that look like they're getting in your way, offer them up to God and be like, God, I want purpose in this. I want to give it to your feet and say, I want purpose in how I can impact the world. Because I guarantee you, God is so ready for that. And he's not intimidated by it. He's not intimidated by it. The other cool thing about Jesus that I love about this story is that he's, at the table of Jesus, there's room for everybody. There is room for every single person at the table of Jesus. We as Christians just have to be really good at seeing that. We have to learn that. When we jump back over to Matthew 1 and we look at the name of Mary, you know, it's Christmas time and, and we see Mary everywhere right now. Um, I love all the old plays when you see the people, like little kids dressed up as Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And we know Mary as a very pure figure. And, you know, there is, there's even denominations that actually pray to Mary. Mary is somebody that um, was known as a pure sacrifice that carried Jesus in her tummy. I don't have any kids. I have a dog. She thinks she's my child. I may or may not treat her like she's my child. Um, and that might be my own fault. But she thinks my, anyway, I don't have any kids. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I do have 13 nieces and nephews. 13, that's why I don't have any kids of my own. I can't afford any. <laughs> right? So anyway, these, these sister-in-laws of mine and my sister and my brother, they have a ton of kids, and they're all really good parents. And I think about it a lot. You know, I think about the story of Mary, and I think about how, yes, she was pure and she was a servant. And I'm not trying to take away any of the honor due to that woman and that amazing story. But there's another part of Mary that we never really think about. And the fact that she was a, a very young, first-time mother. Very young, first-time mother. But yet God chose her because of her heart, not because of her circumstances. I know for me that when I have a kid someday, I'm going to be calling up my sister-in-laws with three kids, and I'm going to say, they have a fever of this. They fell and bumped their head. They did this, 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 this. But I'm going to call on people with more knowledge than me. Because when you're a first-time mom, you are at your most nervous. You don't know things. In fact, when you look at the, the whole idea of that Mary uh, came to the city of Bethlehem and she was about to have a baby, she didn't even know what her body was feeling. By your third kid, most people be like, oh, yeah, I'm probably going to have my kid in about a week. Like, they know their bodies better. And here was this woman with no experience at all, but Jesus chose her. He chose her. For me, I'm going to be calling my sisters, asking for that advice until I feel comfortable in what's going on around me. Like everybody knows your first kid, you're super, super attentive to them. Your third kid grows up eating dirt, right? Nothing is dirty anymore. I'm the third kid. That's what's wrong with me, right? I grew up eating dirt. No, I'm kidding. My mom would kill me if she could hear that. But legit though, but God was confident in her. He was so confident in her, and he knew her abilities because her heart was where it should be. Her heart was pure, that she had a servant's heart, and it didn't matter what was going around, along around her world. God knew that she would follow through. And so many times it's not our circumstances in life that 
disqualify us. Actually, I would say it's never our circumstances in life that disqualify us. It's if we choose to give up or forfeit. Because God, all he wants is faith and deeds. That's all he's looking for is faith and deeds. Sometimes it's just a step in front of the other. And I truly believe that God puts valuable things, the most valuable things, in the most vulnerable people. I tell people every day that come to me and they're like, I feel far from God. I'm like, go find the most broken people in your city and spend time with them. And that's where Jesus lives. He is close to the brokenhearted. And he loves putting value there. He loves calling it out. Throughout scripture, when you you read about Jesus and, and who he was and how he interacted with people, he always loved to call out something in them at the very beginning. Example, uh, Jesus at the woman with the woman at the well. In that time, people always carried a device with them to get the water out of the well. Jesus showed up to a well with no device. He knew he needed that. He was a smart man. He knew he needed that. But he showed up, and this woman came before him, and the first thing he said was, woman, woman I need a drink. I need something from you because I know you have something of value. He called value out of her right away. Before he did any correcting, any teaching, any anything, he wanted to call value. And so for me, I've learned that calling value and seeing value in people is one of the most Christ-like things that we can actually do in our world. The most Christ-like thing. I grew up in a home that was pretty dysfunctional, to be honest. I grew up with a single parent. Um, my mom had to work her butt off just so we could have groceries, and a lot of times we didn't even have groceries. We went to food banks. Um, our pastor, he helped us out a lot. And I grew up, my sister, my brother, and I, we all have, like, we have different dads. And my brother is the oldest, my sister's the middle, and I'm the baby. And growing up, it was really difficult for us not to turn out like the dysfunction around us. My brother's dad was in and out of prison his whole life. And my brother began on this journey where he really didn't know who he was. He didn't know what God had called his life to be. But he did know that his dad's life was like this, in and out of prison, stealing things. And so he thought, you know what, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be like my dad. Or maybe my dad will notice me if I become like him. And so my brother started getting into a lot of trouble. Like he was breaking into people's homes, breaking into cars, stealing things. He was in and out of juvie. Um, He used to give my mom a run for her money many times. I still remember being a little girl coming down where my brother had his bags packed uh, on his way to go to a group home again, and I'd have to come down and give him a kiss goodbye. That was our life. And I have this one particular memory stuck in my head. One day we were coming to pick up my brother from high school, and their high school was on a big hill. And so we parked on the hill. My mom pulled in like she always did, and we, we pulled over. And we just sat there like we always did, waiting for him to come out. When all of a sudden, a big group of guys came running down the road. And when we looked out the window, we realized that they were actually chasing after my brother. My brother was running all out. I'm like, my brother never ran. And he was running for his life down this hill. And before I knew what happened, my mom just literally opened the door, jumped out, and started running after this group of guys, (laughs) like running down the road. My mom is like this tall, guys. Like, she's a really little lady. And she jumped out of the car, and she ran after this group of men, or I should say, well, boy men, you know, 18, 17-year-old guys. She ran after them. And when my mom got down there, this group of guys had surrounded my brother. They were getting ready to beat him up. 
And in the middle of that group, my brother was there, and this other guy was there, and he had my brother by this, like, the cuff of his collar like that. And he had him, just like in the movies, just had him up like this, and he had his hand thrown back. And my mother walked in, and she said, get your hands off my son. And this guy looked at her, and he said, you don't know what he's done. You don't know what he says when you're not around. You don't know even who he is or how he acts or anything. My, bro- and my mom said, I don't care what he's done. I don't care what he said. I don't care who he is when he's not around. He's my son, and he's coming home with me. He's my son, and he's coming home with me. There's someone in here this morning that needs that reminder in their life. That no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter how many times you've screwed up, no matter how hard your past has been, No matter what mistakes you do when no one else is around, you have a God calling you every single time as son and daughter. And every time the enemy has you by the the collar and is pulling you in saying you're about to get what you deserve, you have a God who says, no, no, I paid the sacrifice. They're coming home with me. They're coming home with me. I don't know who that's for this morning or who wants to take that in, but literally Jesus is saying that to you this morning. You're coming home with him. I'm thankful today that I know a God that meets people right where they are. I'm really thankful for a God that knows us and promises us goodness. I came, like I said, I came from a home where, you know, maybe someday I'll get to tell you all the story. I'll get to come back if Pastor keeps asking me. But I come from a home where my dad didn't, he would say he was going to pick me up on the weekends and would never show up. That was my home. And I know what it's like to have nobody speak life over you, but to encounter a God that always speaks life over you. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. I don't know where you guys all are. I don't know very many of you personally. But I do know that God knows you personally. That he has a deep calling on your life. But unless you step up, unless you use your voice, unless you become confident in the calling, because sometimes it's just about confidence in the calling, not about your abilities. But when you become confident in just knowing that God is going to meet you where you are, something changes. Something changes in the atmosphere. And I believe that this church is just a, it's literally a beacon of peace. It's a beacon of peace in this city. And I believe this city needs the peace, and it needs you guys to go out there, and it needs you guys to impact the world around you. I very, very much see that happening, and I see that in all of you guys. So I just want to finish with just encouraging you. I know Christian's probably going to end with a song, too. Um, Pastor Keith has got something to do as well. (laughs) I don't know what it is. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, he's got something else to do. But my whole heart for being here this morning is just to encourage your story encourage you that God has put value in you, that he loves to put value on his children. But we have to step out and keep pushing it out because this world needs value. I don't think that sin is overtaking our world. I think a lack of purpose is. Some people think that's a little controversial, but I truly believe. I think when people, I work a lot with youth. I get to run the youth group at Nova, and I work a lot with youth, and I always tell them, I'm like, listen, we need to look at your purpose. Because once you know your purpose, sin falls off a lot easier. If you don't know your purpose, sin is going to stick to you pretty thick. 
So but that's our job as this church. I look around at the different age groups here, and I see some people who are over 50. I see a couple of younger people. But the generation that's over 50, I just want to encourage you today, don't give up. Please don't say that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Please be the generation that says, you know what? Jesus has said he's not coming back until we restore the earth. So we better start working. And it means being uncomfortable. It means meeting people where they are. It means inviting people. It means loving people. It means seeing the single mom that maybe be a little bit too young to have kids and going and making her a meal. It's loving on the community around you. And we need you. We need you. This world needs what you have, and you're never too old to offer it up. So I just want to pray for you guys before Pastor Keith comes. I, I specifically I'm going to pray for a couple of different generations because we just talked about the genealogy of Jesus, and that's legacy. We serve a God that changes legacy. My children's life will be completely different than my life, not because me, of me, but because of the Jesus I know and the work he's done in my life. And that is the promise that I hold on to, is that legacies change because of Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray for you guys this morning before we go. Uh, and I'm going to focus on that in, in my prayer. So why don't we all just close our eyes, just offer up some silence just for a second before we go so I can hear what Jesus wants to have spoken over you guys. Jesus, we need you. Lord, I thank you for the, uh, the young hearts in this room. Anybody under 25? I thank you that you have divine purpose on their lives. And just right now, I, I just literally, like, I just feel God saying to be very strong with this. So, you know what, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that anything coming into their ears, any voice of the enemy that is trying to call them out, any sin that is trying to trip them up, in the name of Jesus, I bind that. I take off any authority in their lives. I feel like there's, there's a silence that's over some people in this, in this room that are younger, and I just pray in the name of Jesus that that will come off and that boldness would rise up in them and an encouragement towards courage. I thank you that purpose is beginning to just flutter in their hearts and their souls right now. That even as they sit there, that they will feel a fluttering of the Holy Spirit that is now engaging their, their God-given purpose. So, Lord, I just pray that you would make it basic for them, that you would show them the little things that they can do to enhance the kingdom. I thank you that it doesn't matter what they're struggling with. God, I don't know what it is right now, whether it be a, a confidence thing or whether it even be something more extreme like pornography, whatever it is, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would step in in this moment and you would call forth the gifts that you have planted in them and, and anything that's tripping them up in the name of Jesus, that it would just fall off and the chains would fall off on them. And they would realize that they have value and that God is not afraid of their vulnerability. I thank you for those kings and queens that they will rise up and that legacies will be different because of them. That their children's children will be different because of this moment of choosing to have faith and to begin to move. I just call movement out in the name of Jesus. Movement. The city needs who you are, young people. The city needs what you have. It needs your voice. Lord, I pray for those who are over 50 today. Uh, I specifically pray for those who have kind of given up and been like, you know what, we're just going to hand the steering wheel over to those younger. 
God, I just pray for correction in that and be like, no, we need you. We need, I'm a generation that needs grandparents and fathers and mothers. I'm still that generation up here today. And so, Lord, please just impress on their hearts that they are still needed. That what they've learned, the way they've learned the Holy Spirit, the way they've learned about you, God, there's such richness and depth in what they've done in their lives, God. There's nothing more powerful than a life that has been dedicated to your glory, God. So I thank you that what they have will be contagious, that they will rise up and say, you know what, I still have so much to offer the world around me, and I'm not done until I'm in the grave. I thank you for that calling on their life, and may they remember who they were when they were younger and give them the zealous to share it with others. I thank you for the calling on their lives, God, and I thank you for the peace of this room. God, I thank you for Pastor Keith. Uh, I thank you that he is a leader who isn't afraid. He's not afraid to be peaceful in a, um, in a world that loves to be in, in always tense. He's not afraid to be peaceful. And so, Lord, I thank you for his disarming nature, and I thank you that this church disarms. But to disarm, you still have to go out there and and be amongst the war. You still have to go out there and be ready to pick up and carry wounded people. And so, Lord, I just pray for that. I just pray that that would rise up in them and that they would just um, be in tune with your calling on this church. And with every eye closed, I just want to invite you, if this is your first time to church and you've never accepted Jesus in your heart, Um, I want to give you that invitation. I want to give you that moment right now. And everyone's eyes are closed out of privacy. But if you would like to ask God into your life, and there's no magic spell for this, there's no magic wording for this, but it's just about acknowledging that, hey, I've messed up, I'm a sinner. But I believe that God came as a child. He was born of a Virgin Mary, that he came, he lived a life that was pure, and he died on a cross for our sins, and then he rose again. And that he's coming one day again to rest- and he's going to restore the earth with us. If you are here today and you've never accepted God into your life, I'd like you just to shoot your hand up really quick so I can see you as I'm praying for you. If you want to accept Jesus today. Why don't we all repeat this together with our eyes closed. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that I can run to you and abide in you. I have sinned. I have felt short. But I know that you are with me. I know that you came to earth, that you died on a cross for my sins, and you rose again with hope. So I want to claim that hope. I want to walk with you daily. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. You are my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Um, uh, I just feel the Lord speaking into the whole reaching out to... Uh, not not just the lost, but those that are marginalized, those that are, you know, the Rahabs, just to use that as a picture, but there's all kinds of different versions of Rahab. And, uh, Father, I just asked this morning, for those of us here who felt the little touch of conviction, Father, about 
not reaching out the way we could and should. Father, I pray this morning that you would open up those doors, those divine appointments, that, Father, we would be able to uh, touch and see and experience and to have relationship with those, Father God, who need to hear your story. Father, I pray it. I ask your forgiveness for the ways that I, or I'll speak for myself, that I have walked by opportunities and I have not intentionally gone out into the world with an intent to be your witness and to be your voice. And Lord, we just ask your forgiveness for that this morning and ask for, again, those divine appointments and uh, cause us to be willing to cross that divide, Father God, and, uh, and be that sweet-smelling aroma that you want us to be as the church. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nicole. Jerry, you want to say something? amazing Jerry yeah do you know last Sunday night or the last prayer meeting we had on that Sunday night I had exactly that same picture exactly that same picture it was going out onto the battlefield you were a medic and you were grabbing people and sometimes dragging them back to safety yeah so yes and 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 I mean is God speaking I think he is call me crazy You know, I think God's saying something to us this morning about the fact that it's got to be more than us four. And I know that you, listen, I know most of you very well, and I know your hearts are to reach those who don't know Jesus and to uh, kind of infiltrate uh, people that really need Jesus. But I think God is just reminding us this morning that yes, yes. And if you were here... uh, uh, I think it was Sunday night. I don't know what night it was, Roseanne, where you were just moaning for the lost. W- was that Wednesday night? Oh, my dear. Like, there was such a sense in this room as we prayed, this heavy, heavy agony of God for the lost. And, yes, we're human. We don't always feel it. We're blocked by so many things. But God is reminding us this morning about the usefulness of the Rahabs and and that God is going to reach in and and whatever they have and whoever they are and and speak to it and whatever you have and whoever you are God can use that too it's a wonderful it's wonderful encouragement I think it's more than an encouragement I think it's a directive uh, from God because we can get lulled into stuff so anyway thank you this is wonderful Um, we should take up an offering you know how we do it? You just walk up. Isn't that the most infectious thing? <laughs> just really as announcements, we have uh, tickets to the 